Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, we glorify you and we thank you for what you're doing in our lives, in our families, in our church. Thank you that Nick and Mel have returned from their honeymoon and are safe and they come back with a good report of of the continual goodness of God in their lives. Thank you, Lord, for Spring of Life Fellowship, a church that believes that you are the most important thing in our life. You're the most high God. And we worship you with excellence in this house. Uh, We don't bring you the mediocre things. We're not walking in a lukewarm, indifferent state Uh, But we're on fire for God. We're on fire for the news that comes out of heaven. We're promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that this is the answer to the world. Because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but through you. So we pray that your grace continue to extend towards us. And that we might have ears to hear and a heart to listen and obey. And eyes to see the supernatural. Father, we're not going to fall into darkness. We're not going to see things that are ungodly. We're not going to hear things that uh, bring a stench into our feast of love. Uh, We don't want to get stuck and shipwrecked in our faith by the hidden reefs of evil men who have evil hearts and cannot celebrate your goodness in our lives. That the Christmas story puts a staple in history that you interrupt the affairs of man with heaven's goodness. And we pray even now, Christmas 2020, that we would have a divine interruption to see your glory fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Let your word this morning be a good seed planted in good hearts that give forth good fruit Allow us to walk in your purpose and in your mindset. Allow us to define everything that's going on as your capacity to perfect and to prepare vessels to serve you. Be glorified, Lord, and send out your word and that they not return void. And where the devil is trying to diminish and overpower your kingdom, you said for us to count it great joy when we enter into various trials knowing that our character is being perfected and tribulation does not disappoint us because the love of God is being poured out in our heart and that is our hope, oh God. We glorify you, we thank you, we ask your blessing upon Spring of Life and that we continue to fulfill our purpose to change the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. The Bible has a innumerable amount of historical accounts of God intervening and that means that God is is just interrupting the earth narrative what we call what's happening upon the earth is constantly being interrupted by supernatural divine intervention that means throughout history and there's never been a more glorious time um They said that it had been over 400 years, almost 500 years, where there was complete silence upon the earth concerning God speaking to man. The last evidence of God speaking to man was Malachi chapter 4, where he says these words. These are the last verses in the Old Testament. And then for 500 years, there would be no communication from heaven towards earth. So that makes for a a crazy existence. But here in Malachi, the last chapter uh, of the Old Testament, chapter 4 and verse, I guess it's 6. These are the last words spoken in the Old Testament. God will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Something God's going to do to cause fathers to begin to focus upon the priority of their children. I think, I think the curse of our day 
is that fathers have become so selfish, they don't live for their children. They, they live cursing their children with the expressions of their own selfishness. It should be by the time that a child is born that a man has denied himself to serve his wife. See, that's the first step in killing selfishness. Where you're not living no longer for yourself, God's pattern is that you'll be joined to your wife and the two shall be one. Why? Because a husband is serving his wife's best interest. That's what Jesus taught me when I came to the Lord. And number one in my life, after a devotion to God, is my wife. And the Bible says if you're not laying down your life for your wife like Jesus does for the church, it's because you're stuck on selfishness. So you deny yourself, not my will, thine be done, O God. You begin to serve your wife. That produces a smile on your wife's countenance. It's a reflection of glory, God's glory. And then by the time the children are born, you have now perfected sacrificing, denying yourself to serve your wife. And then you take it a step further. Now you're denying yourself to serve your wife and being a blessing to your children. But in the Old Testament, when man was rampant in his own selfish existence, his heart turned away from his children, and that caused the children to turn their hearts away from their fathers. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 6, that the glory of children are their parents. If you strip your children from their glory, that means you remove from them the covering that they have, that gives them confidence and assurance in this world is the relationship of a father and a mother who are both denying themselves to serve their children. If you have a selfish man, you'll have a selfish woman, you have cursed children. Selfish man, selfish woman, cursed children. And here God says, the last verse in the Old Testament, that he will turn the hearts of father to the priority of their children, Malachi 4, 6, and the children's heart to their fathers. Man, there's nothing more glorious than having a child that wants to honor their parents and saying, I'm not living for me because what I do reflects on who my parents are. And so that's what history has shown. Whenever there's been an incredible child, uh, David, when he killed Goliath, that was a glorious reality. The question was not, hey, David, how'd you pick up that slingshot or how did you find the stones the question was who is your father because your champion expression of of glorious existence upon the earth reflects that your parents are doing something right that's the story that that Yvette was telling this morning pastor Jules was on vacation in the keys and he was over by the recreational area, and the family was watching his children. They're already young adults. And the, the people that were there that were watching his children and overhearing their conversation caused those witnesses to go to Jules and say, how did you raise these kids like that? And that's happening in our church. If you were here at the Christmas recital, you see some incredible boys and girls that were, they were like, you know, and, and that represents that their parents are doing something right. They're at the right place at the right time with the right people. And, and this is what God is saying, that he's going to do a work in fathers and children that will reflect upon the earth. He says, if you do not walk in God's format and recipe, then what comes upon the earth, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. What is the curse of our day? Selfish men, selfish women, and selfish children. But when you have a man who is walking, surrendered to Christ and his spirit, you have a woman walking in virtue, you have children walking in obedience and honor, then the people are like, man, this is heaven on earth. So God would not speak again for 500 years until we have the birth of Christ in the book of Matthew. That the gospel of Matthew introduces God's communication to man, what we call a divine interruption. Whatever was going on upon the earth politically, socially, economically, health-wise, 
academically, geographically. God sends his son into the world. We have a message from R.T. Kendall we want to share this morning. And he talks a little bit about this Christmas story. Let's listen real quickly. Hi, I'm R.T. Kendall. Welcome to our home here in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Merry Christmas to you, and I hope that you are experiencing the presence of God and the joy of family. I want to talk to you today about the Christmas story. When I was at Westminster Chapel, we always had a Christmas Day service. That means I've got 25 sermons on Christmas. As a matter of fact, the Sunday before, I would preach on Christmas twice. I reckon I've got 75 sermons on Christmas. But if you have to come up with a particular verse that shows Christmas Day, it would be when the shepherds appeared, uh, when the angels appeared to the shepherds that evening, because we're told this day there was born in Bethlehem a Savior, Christ the Lord. And that's the nearest you get to the actual event. Of course, we don't know what day Jesus was born. It doesn't really matter. What is wonderful is that God became man and was born. And as a baby, he was God as though he were not man. He was man as though he were not God. And we are thankful that the reason Jesus came into the world is not so we would have Christmas, not so that we would even honor Him with giving Christmas presents to one another, but to be aware that it was God's way of saving the world, that God Himself became man. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh, and that was Jesus. And as a little baby, He grew and he waxed strong in wisdom and stature. And then one day, at the age of 30, he was baptized. Three years later, he died on a cross. And when God said to the, God, through the angel to Joseph that he would call this baby Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, it was an indication right there, right there, that Jesus was born to die. He was born to die on a cross. So don't separate the birth of Jesus from the cross of Jesus. Because when he died on the cross, that was the way that God saved the world. It was no accident. It was not a tragedy. This was the plan all along. And from the moment of the announcement of Jesus' birth until the moment that he said on the cross, it is finished. It was part of God's plan. Question to you on this Christmas day. Do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And if you were to stand before God, and you will, and He were to ask you, and He might, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Has anybody ever asked you that question before? The kindest question anybody can ever ask you. If you don't know for sure that you're saved, I would say right at this moment, repeat these words in your heart or out loud. Just say, Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart as best as I know how. I give you my life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, you've just been born again. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Find a church where Christ is preached, where the Bible is preached and Christ is honored. And I hope one day to meet you personally. If not, I'll see you in heaven. Again, Merry Christmas. Amen. The Christmas story, as just heard through Dr. R.T. Kendall, becomes God's attempt to interrupt the history of man. And constantly we're seeing 
on the news, we're seeing in our present generation the expression of everything desperate and depraved because man has continued to pursue evil. The Bible says in the last days, men being selfish will grow worse and worse. That means darkness is to fill the earth, but there's a special time of interruption. I, I foresee in the coming days that we will see that contrast. The contrast of the earth going about its affairs, like in the times of Noah, the Bible says the last days will be like in the days of Noah. People will be eating, drinking, giving into marriage, cheating, being unfaithful, chasing the lusts of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's, that's going to never, uh, a lot of people are saying, well, when is this going to end? Well, no, it's going to get worse. But inside that darkness, there's a special people. And I want to talk about that because um, some people don't understand God's timeline. The celebration of Christ being born in Jerusalem, uh, being born in Bethlehem, uh, right there at the outskirts of Jerusalem, this little town of Bethlehem. We visited there in 2017, uh, that, that area of the Middle East where Christ was born, the king of glory. And it seemed like an insignificant place at the time, but it would turn the tide of history. It would change the world, this child born there. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 speaks about the prophetic reality of Christ coming upon the earth where it says, unto us a child is born. Listen to me. All over the earth things were taking place, but in that particular place there was a child that was coming out the fruit of the womb. It's coming forth into this world. The Bible says there was no time for celebration. There wasn't uh, any place for him at the end. So he, in a manger, in a stable, surrounded by animals and these shepherds that were invited to see. Unto us a son is given. God was giving us the expression of what he desires all of us to become. The purpose of man upon the earth is to conform to the image of his son. To be more and more like Jesus. Quit with the theology. Quit with the religion. Quit with the victim mentality of all things gone wrong. Why are you not being more like Jesus? And then if the, the family setting is difficult, then you could shine even brighter. Because you don't have to walk in the temperature and the climate and the atmosphere of the home. But you could shine bringing peace and joy and holiness and purity you can walk in such a manner that the people will know this man walks with God. He doesn't, he doesn't resort to the devil's antics. And so here it is, Jesus being born in this world, the Bible says a child is born, a son is given. The surrender of a will is what makes you a son when you no longer are taking up your own stance, but you surrender. He says, I'll go to the cross. Um, I, I can... I can Lay down my life and I can take it up, but I choose to lay it down because this is what the Father has asked me to do. I could call 70,000 angels, legions of angels to come and deliver me, but I've decided to deny my will, pass this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, thine be done. So Jesus taught us sonship, to suffer, to learn obedience, to walk in that sacrificial mindset. And it says upon his shoulders is government and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. He's going to be the expression of the might and the power of God. He's going to be an everlasting father. He's going to be the prince of peace. So this announcement that was done in the days of Isaiah, and, and it would take a reality in Bethlehem on the birth of Christ. So we're saying that it doesn't matter what's happening amongst men. There's always a divine intervention, divine interruption. God intervening in the affairs of this world. This divine intervention, divine interruption can be God causing something to happen or preventing things from happening that people think are going to take place. Um, what was happening with Goliath and then raising up Christ, I mean raising up the David to overcome Goliath was an interruption. It's not what people expected, it's what God would do. 
that would change the tone. And there's all manner of men, atheists, agnostics, those who defy and always want to find an alternate explanation of the events that are happening that are clear miracles here upon the earth. Some believers see examples of divine intervention everywhere, interpreting every random event to be a clear instruction of God to go in one direction or another. The question I have for you this morning, are you going to follow in line with God's interruption or are you going to explain it away in another manner? God intervenes in the affairs of this world and so it's undeniable that throughout history in the affairs of this world, God has left his fingerprints and handiwork to be seen by all men. We see this at the flood. Noah's flood, the days were evil. Men were given over to violence and to all manner of ungodly thoughts. The Bible says that the thoughts of men were continually towards evil. And God allows a man to find grace, to build an ark, and to escape and to be rescued. At the Red Sea... God opens up the Red Sea and his people are delivered out of captivity in Egypt. And so there's all manner of explanations of how this could not have been a divine intervention, but it could be naturally explained away. The birth of Christ also, people see it with insignificance, but it starts out with God bringing salvation to man, the birth of Israel as a nation. And so I want you to expect the next divine interruption. What is that going to be? While men go about their affairs, while men go about earthly pursuit in an ungodly manner, there are people that are bracing themselves up for what God is going to do in the last days. And let me just tell you off the bat, it's not going to be a defeat. It's not going to be negative. It's not going to be an expression that darkness prevails. Why? Because darkness never prevails over light. I love Matthew 16, 18 because it sets my tone for knowing that God is building a church and he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail, shall not prevail against my church what is a church what is its work are you a part of it that's what you have to ask yourself because in God's intervention in God's interruption he is triumphed and victorious from Genesis to Revelations there's never been a time where where the climate and the atmosphere has set in where God has not appeared to rescue his people and so I say even now as we're entering into a different season, they call it the great reset, uh, the, 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 the ungodly, arrogant, and wicked want to define what's going to happen next. And let me just tell you, it will only define their wickedness and their pursuit, but God will intervene again, just like he did in Christmas, just like the child is born. In Bethlehem and nothing stopped him so in our season also God will have divine interruption and the Christmas story is a greatest story ever told and it's an opportunity for us to celebrate what's coming what's coming here it is what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 3 no let's yeah let's go to chapter 3 real quick Chapter 3, verse 3, how great are his interruptions. How glorious is when God shows up at the scene. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 3. I said 3, 3, it's 4, 3. It says, how great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom doesn't diminish and fade away it's an everlasting kingdom see that that changes the tide 
I don't, I don't know what the devil has put in your thoughts about oh, how horrible this is getting. No, his kingdom, when everything is said and done, his interruption in earthly affairs will be evidence. Why? Because his dominion is from generation to generation. In every generation, God's dominion is sovereign. What's that mean? Above all other kingdoms. That's where we're going. That's where we're headed. We want to be a part of the, that people. Great signs, mighty wonders, everlasting kingdom. Make sure that this is permeating your thoughts and your spirit. Otherwise, you're walking to the devil's drumbeat. And so here it is, Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. The revelation that Nebuchadnezzar receives as, as he, his life, the Bible says that he was walking about his kingdom. He was walking about his arrogance. He's like, look at what I have done with my mighty power, my mighty kingdom. And all of a sudden, it all came undone. Why? Divine intervention. He says, when the council of heaven gathered together to make a decision, these people that are entrusted to watch over the affairs of man upon the earth had a decree. They declared something. They decreed it as the sentence that God was establishing over, he says, by the word of the holy ones in order. This is why everything is happening. Why is there a divine interruption, divine intervention? So that in order that the living, those upon the earth, may know. See, some people have not gotten notice. They didn't get the memo yet. But God wants us to know that the most high, he is the one that governs the kingdom of men. The affairs upon the earth do not take priority or preeminence. It is God's kingdom that rules the affairs of men upon the earth to establish it, to give it to whomever he has decided. And he has decided to set the lowest of men over the kingdom and the affairs in this world. So sometimes you bug out. You're like, oh, what's going on? What's... Listen, God is moving the pieces of the chess set. And pretty soon, pretty soon, it's right there around the corner. Checkmate. You can't move. Another move. God has once again brought down the hammer of his gavel of justice upon the earth. And so that's what, that's what freaks out Habakkuk. That's what freaks out Men who, who are sitting there saying violence and injustice and things gone crazy and even tempted to take vengeance upon themselves and to address it, like we said on Wednesday, we're not going to do that. That's the sovereign place of God's divine dominion, what, his jurisdiction over these affairs. And so we continue to read... Um, as he is troubled there in chapter 4 because he has a dream, Nebuchadnezzar. And, and Daniel, he calls Daniel. He says, I need a man who understands these affairs. He calls Daniel in and he says, explain to me the things that are troubling my heart. And that's a little bit of what's taking place this morning. God is addressing our present. We're going through Christmas, reminder of God's divine interruption in man's history. And, and you want him and expect him to concern himself in our lives and what's taking place. So in verse 27, Daniel begins to describe to him and he gives him the game plan to, to be a part of God's plan. He says, O king, as I interpret your dream, let me give you acceptable advice. Let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins. Depart from doing things wrong. Depart from taking matters in your own hands and doing things that do not place God. If you want to be part of God's divine interruption, then stop being a part of your own demise. 
Stop being selfish. Stop being sinful. Break off with your sin. How do you do that? Start using all that energy to be righteous. Make your game plan, your narrative, your transcript to follow the righteous expression of God's goodness. Be a righteous man and your iniquities, break off with your iniquities by beginning to you being the difference, showing mercy to the poor. If they cannot walk in the wealth of unforgiveness and peace, you walk in it. You walk in the expression of what you profess to be your reality. If you have the God of peace, you be peaceful. If God has forgiven you, you forgive others. If God has shown you mercy, then you walk in that richness of the wealth of mercy. Unfazed. Why? Because God has made you rich. You have forgiveness for those who offend. You have blessings for those who curse. You have the peace of God for those who have no peace. So do away with iniquity by showing mercy. And perhaps when you do these things, the Lord will lengthen, extend your prosperity. You're going to go into a greater measure of the wealth of God, a greater measure of the blessing of God. I was talking to a man this week. He says, I, I have a burden for all those people that are financially distraught. They don't know how to do the things right. So they, they can't enjoy wealth. They'll never have it because they mismanage. They misspend it. And, and, and these natural things of money and currencies are only, uh, the Bible says, they're, they're the unclean expressions of wealth. If you don't do money right, you don't do life right. If your finances are upside down, it's just a measure of your selfishness and your ignorance, your irresponsibility. You don't know how to manage what God puts in your hands. If you're faithful in the little, he'll give you more. If your time, your talents, the wealth of his expressions. I don't know a godly man upon the earth that's poor. Why? Because he manages his time, his talents, and his treasure in a manner that pleases God. I guarantee you he's bringing his tithe, his 10% into the storehouse of God. Why? Because God says, I challenge you. If you do this, I'm going to bless you till your socks blow off. It's going to be an overwhelming amount of riches you won't have enough room for. Malachi 3.10. Look into it. God wants you to walk in his expression so he gave, gives you greater prosperity and wealth. You're miserable, full, impoverished because you don't listen to God. You want to invest in the stock market. You want to get financial advice, but you're stealing from God. And God doesn't allow thieves to prosper. So anyways, getting back to this divine interruption, we see that Daniel brings to Nebuchadnezzar some understanding. When he tells them, break off with your sin, break off with your wickedness, your iniquity, begin to show mercy, begin to do what is right, walk in righteousness. They just, if you get Daniel 4.27, if you just do that one verse to break off with your sins and walk in righteousness, break off with your iniquities and walk in mercy, then prosperity results. And Daniel is trying to communicate to the king that reality, what's the revelation in verse 34 that the king has? When the king sees his whole experience, when he sees everything taking place, he says, at the end of my experience, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted my eyes to the heavens. If what's taking place to you upon the earth allows you to look up to the heavens, you're headed in the right direction. God has put everything in your life correct, so you look to that place where you're help comes from where prosperity and blessing come from so he looked up to the heavens his eyes to the heavens and as soon as he did that his understanding returned those who try to look around here upon the earth to an answer to their problems don't find their problems it's when you look up to the heavens that you get understanding without faith you can't understand by faith we understand that the worlds were made by god Everything upon the earth is according to biblical instruction and design. So if you're defying the, def, uh, the, the, the design of, of earth 
heaven on earth, then you can never get to the peace and to the joy God designed you to experience. As soon as he lifted his eyes to the heavens, his understanding returned to him, and I began to praise and bless the most high God, to honor him, to live in a manner that pleases him who lives forever. For his dominion is everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is available from generation to generation. I love this. I love that everything upon the earth is a signaling back to God. So what happens as soon as he did that, as soon as he did that, he understood in verse 35 that all peoples upon the earth, all the inhabitants are nothing. He, God, does according to what he wills in his host in heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one withholds his hand asking him, what are you doing? See, God's not going to ask anybody for permission. His divine interruption will come upon the earth in these last days in a manner that's going to leave a lot of people blown away. I want to be a part of the move of God in the last days. I want to move in the direction of his spirit. The Bible says clearly there that as soon as we start moving in God's direction, verse 36 at that same time, my craziness turned to sanity. Insanity turned to sanity. I've seen this happen all the time. When people see life from God's vantage point, they stop being crazy. Well, the world calls us crazy. But the Bible says those who call us crazy perish. The gospel is salvation to those who believe. But to the ungodly, it is craziness. It's insanity. But this man begins to worship God. He breaks off with sin. He starts doing mercy. He starts understanding that God interrupts the affairs of man. And his sanity is returned to him at that very moment. For the glory of my kingdom, my honor, everything God had for me returned to me. My counselors, my nobles, they started seeking me out. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Start as you start living life according to God's narrative and everything changes in a manner of refreshing. Repent so times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. And so here it is as he continues to describe this experience. Verse 37 says that now I, Nebuchadnezzar, have turned my heart to praise, to lift up, and to honor the king of heaven. My life now upon the earth is to do God's bidding. I want to live God's narrative. All of whose works are truth. Everything else is a deception. You fall short. His ways are right, full of justice. And those who walk in pride, contrary to God's designation and design he is able to humble to put down Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 has a glimpse of the last days if you're a person interested in knowing what's going to take place in the last days he says in the book of Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 at that time Michael shall stand up that great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And here shall be a time during this time of trouble such as never was. This is what's happening. In this season of earth accomplish it, um, I believe that R.T. Kendall is writing a book called uh, The Path That We've Never Been On or We've Never Traveled. Because right now that's what they're saying about the earth. We're, we're living a season that has never been lived upon the earth. A time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that time, and at that time, your people shall be delivered. Say with me, delivered. God's interruption is for the deliverance of his people. We're not going to befall. We're not going to go be flushed down the toilet. We're not going to go in the gutter. God will move in the last days during the time which has never been. God will deliver his people. Everyone who is found written 
in his book. Love that. Verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall be awakened, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. We know that God is going to draw that line. Verse 3, those who are wise. You can underline this in your Bible because there's some that will be fools. The wise shall, the Bible says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. It's called the stars. And those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. You want to be on that all-star list. It's not Hollywood. It's not the celebrities of debauchery, depravity. It's those who turn people to righteousness. And we have a glimpse of these people in the book of Jude. I want to just highlight this, and I'm about to finish right now. Jude 14, God promises in the coming days... See how the Lord comes with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. Jude 14. This is the season that will interrupt the next time frame in the affairs of man is this prophecy of the Lord raising up tens of thousands of his followers. There's just something supernatural about a man and a woman who decides to follow God's narrative, are not listening to CNN, are not listening to Wall Street, are not walking according to the UN and all of its declarations and assignments. But listen to this divine interruption. Behold, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his saints. What for? Verse 15. To execute judgment on all. To address as many as they can. To convict the all who are ungodly. There's going to be a, a people that will rise. Some people are calling it the third great awakening. Where God will stir all things to address, to address the earthly affairs of vanity and temporal insanity. And these people will convict. It says that they will convict all who are ungodly amongst all their ungodly deeds. The ungodly, the ungodly deeds. If you tell me how a man lives, I'll tell you who a man's character is, which they have committed in an ungodly way. And how is it that they go about doing all their ungodliness? They open their mouth and speak in a harsh manner concerning ungodly sinners. The Bible says that they're going to be addressed. So imagine a generation of thousands upon thousands of righteous that begin to speak against the ungodly, their ungodly deeds, who commit their ungodly ways. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against God. You see the people that today they find reason on every expression to come against the things of God. Who are these people? Who are these people that open their mouths that have no comments according to the good things God has done in the season he's doing them in to save his people? The Christmas story is an indictment to all those who say that this God does not exist. The Christmas story establishes what will bring the end of time. And as we read these things, it's put in the backdrop of verse 16 of these wicked, ungodly people speaking ungodly things against God. All they do is complain. They're a bunch of whiners. They're a bunch of haters. They never find reason and an answer to serve God with excellence. They walk according to their own desires. They're doing their own thing. They mouth great swelling words, flattering people about who they are to gain advantage. Verse 17, dear friends, remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ told us. 
Verse 18, they said to us that in the last days there will be mockers who will follow their ungodly desires. Who are these wicked, ungodly? I want to tell you most of them call themselves Christians, but they don't have a character of Christ. They're serving their own desires, their own lusts. They don't walk in obedience. They walk in rebellion. They're mockers walking according to their own ungodly lust. They can't deny themselves. They have to go indulge. They're looking for their self-satisfaction at the expense of the church, at the expense of the body of Christ, at the expense of widows and orphans. Verse 19, these ungodly in the last days mockers, they are sensual persons. They walk according to what they feel. Well, I feel this and I feel that. You're not supposed to feel. The, the ones led by the spirit of God, not by the feelings. The sensual ones are the ones that cause division. They walk according to God's righteousness. Why do they do that? They don't have the spirit of the Lord. They have no manner to deny self. The spirit of the Lord is Romans 8, 15. It says it allows you to say, Abba, Father. These people can't have a spiritual father. They're in the spirit of bondage. They walk according to fear. They have not received the spirit of adoption. They cannot cry, Abba, Father. We've been fathering for many years, and you can tell those who have the spirit of the Lord. They honor Father they obey Father. They walk according to instruction. They learned obedience through suffering. So these men who walk in the last days, who are complainers, haters, dividers, gossipers, they're not who we are. Who are we? Verse 20, Jude 20. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Build up your faith. Gather yourselves with those who walk. Verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love. Embrace God's love as you wait for his mercy in our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Have compassion. Make yourselves a distinction. Verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire, hating the garments defiled by flesh. Get away from those people that are walking in the flesh. And then verse 24, to the God who's able to keep you without falling, without stumbling, and that he's able to keep you and present you without blame, without fault, before his presence with glory and exceeding joy. I want to say that in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit according to Joel chapter 2, verse 28. First Lady Yvette talked about this on Wednesday, that God would be pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And there's going to be a people marching with God according to his visions and divine dreams he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh so there is no excuse if the devil's telling you that you are the exception you tell him no there are no exceptions the spirit of god will fall on all flesh if you welcome his spirit you will fulfill his powerful call upon our lives and i want to finish with second peter chapter 2 verse 9 the Bible says that God is able, I love this verse, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of the hour of temptation, out of the trial that will befall the earth. But he's not only going to, he knows how to deliver the righteous out of times of trouble, but he knows how to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Two types of people the ones that are being delivered because of their righteous desire and pursuit and then those that will be reserved for punishment that are ungodly with ungodly deeds in an ungodly manner speaking harsh mockery about him 
So today is a day of repentance for you that want to go from darkness to light, to be identified with those that will become vessels of mercy. Father, we give you thanks this day that you have made. We rejoice and we celebrate the Christmas season with the anticipation and expectation of a divine interruption as you have always done in history. We see it in the book of Daniel. We see it in the days of Noah. We see it in the days of Lot, that you delivered him out of Sodom. We see it, Father God, in the time of Bethlehem, where you interrupt men's time and history by the birth of your son. And Father, we expect in the coming days, the last days, you will have another divine interruption where the Spirit of God falls upon thousands and tens of thousands of your saints that will go execute and convict the ungodly for their ungodly deeds that they perform in ungodly ways, speaking ungodly, harsh words against you. Keep us in your love. Allow us to be strengthened in our faith, built up in a manner that pleases you, that honors you, and that brings forth no dispute, chaos, or excuse. Be glorified. And we thank you for your word today. Bless your people, Lord. Prosper them. Give them abundant peace and joy during this Christmas season in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, and the house of God and the people of God say, amen, amen. Remember, Wednesday night we'll have our Christmas concert and you be a part of it. If you're a psalmist, if you're one of the worship leaders here at church, come out with your families, and we're going to have a great time in God's presence uh, celebrating the Christmas season. God bless you. I love you, and I miss you a whole bunch.